Hello and welcome to this edition of EMS Now Up Close. I am Eric Miskell with EMS Now and it is the beginning of 2024 so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to check in with uh, David Schild, the Executive Director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. Um, we've spoken to David many times over the past year um, tracking the activities of his group and, and what's happening within the industry. So I think it it, it's time well spent to uh, to revisit that at the beginning of the year and see see what's what's ahead here. So, um, David, welcome. Um, hope springs eternal in the new year, right? Um, and I think lots of various competing dynamics that you're going to have to kind of navigate here. You know, Eric, it is an exciting time to be part of a conversation about reshoring. Uh, exciting time to be part of a conversation about the intersection of national security and economic security. And there is so much that has happened since we talked and Congress has, at least on this front, hit the ground running. And, and I think everybody in our industry is trying to match that speed and pace. There is some dysfunction on Capitol Hill, as there always is. But in the matter of should we make more of the things in America that we invent here that we depend on, there seems to be a bipartisan consensus. No, absolutely. And listen, and to underscore, let's go big picture first, because I mean, since we last spoke, well, I forget that was at the end of the year, it had already started. We've had this major disruption in the Red Sea area, right, with shipping right now. And that really underscores kind of the vulnerability of global supply chains. And, uh, and if we needed another reminder, we're going through one right now. Speak to that and how that kind of really underscores your mission. Yeah, you know, the PCBA was formed three years ago at the height of the fervor over the CHIPS Act. And of course, the CHIPS Act was driven by a lack of semiconductors that led to things like shortages of F-150 trucks on the docks. And, you know, when Americans can't get their pickup trucks, all of a sudden there's political focus on an issue, right? Nothing nothing focuses the mind like those sort of shortfalls. And our association realized that printed circuit board and IC substrate makers were being left behind and left out of the conversation, that the full technology stack was not being focused on. I give a lot of credit to Gina Raimondo at the Commerce Department and the CHIPS team. They are starting to move this money out. You are seeing facilities come online in places like Ohio and Arizona. It is an impressive investment. And certainly, America should absolutely have a healthy and sustainable share of global semiconductor production. But as we often say, chips don't float. Without integrated circuit substrates and without printed circuit boards, we simply aren't going to have a robust, sustainable, secure supply chain. So when you look at the percentages, right, America makes 13% of the global semiconductor supply. We need to do better. Now let's look at the rest of the stack. 4% of printed circuit boards, less than 1% of integrated circuit substrates. The evidence speaks for itself. After 30 years of offshoring and consolidation, we have got to have a more robust capacity. And that doesn't even speak, Eric to critical minerals, to raw materials like copper, like woven glass. You know, we have single points of failure in the raw materials market. And so I think there is an understanding that when you see supply chain disruptions, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and what. It was a COVID-19 mm -hmm. pandemic. Today, it's turmoil in the Middle East. Who knows what the next man-made or natural interruption would be? I'd prefer to build domestic capacity so we're in insulated against things like that. Yeah. And I think that's the tailwinds that's driving, you know, the progress that you you are going to see probably hopefully continued into this year. But let's talk about some of the thing that's actually happening there. So the uh, uh, the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the U.S. and uh, Chinese Communist Party. Speak to what they've said and what's come out of there. 
Absolutely. That committee has had uh, an ongoing body of work that I think has been very bipartisan, focused on what we all acknowledge is a competition with China, a global uh, economic and national security competition. And one of their reports from December listed 150 technological imperatives where the U.S. must lead or retain a leadership position. Number one at the top of the list, and I wish I could take credit for it, but it was simply the way that um, the cookie crumbled was we need more microelectronics manufacturing capacity in the United States, and they specifically call that PCBs and IC substrates. The committee understands that we still have a dependency when 56% of the world's supply is manufactured in mainland China. So I think there's um, an acknowledgement that this is an area where a rebalanced global portfolio would be healthier and less risky, and that's what that report is calling on. Yeah. And you also had the DOD announcing its national industrial strategy, right? So explain what that the impact of that from all over Washington, right from Capitol Hill to the Pentagon, we're seeing similar messages. Um, the national defense industrial strategy, which is the first of its kind, looked deeply into national security and defense system supply chains. And of course, if we want to have things that uh, fly and flight, uh, excuse me, that uh, float and fight and fly, you know, we have to be able to uh, deliver goods and services to our men and women in uniform. So it, this study, and it looked across the entire DOD and it said, OK, where are the rare earths and critical minerals that we need? Where are the, um, you know, large resources and labor pools and uh, specialty fasteners and high tech metals and alloys? It looked at everything. And it definitely had a focus on one of what DOD is calling its five technology pillars. One of those is microelectronics. And so we look into that report and they understand that when you get below the OEM, when you get below the prime level, there are, of course, real challenges with microelectronic supply chains. Now, thanks to ITAR and some restrictions, we already basically compel American industry to manufacture these parts for the DOD. And I'm proud that our members are meeting the demand and delivering the systems that we depend on. But where's the surge capacity? Where's the longevity? Where's the potential growth? Should we need to make more of these systems in a, in a quick manner? It's just not there. And, you know, we've had this discussion, Eric, in this country before with space launch, with military versus commercial jet engines. Anytime we start to talk about capacity, what's the health of the commercial sector? What's the health of the defense sector? You know, the Department of Defense, I like what they do, which is they don't engage in short term thinking. They play out scenarios that are one year, 100 year, you know, 150 years down the road. They think ahead about what they need for the future, because, you know, as much as I don't want to run out of dishwasher boards, as much as I don't want to run out of the microelectronics that we find in commercial appliances, they absolutely cannot. Their mission is that they cannot run out of the microelectronics that they depend on. And so the first step is this study, identifying the gaps in the supply chain, calling them out. And the next step, I think, is actions by Congress to invest in our defense budget to uh, make that known. And we can talk a little bit about what we and IPC are jointly doing to, to push the Pentagon and Congress sort towards some very concrete investments. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good point. You're talking about, you know, what Congress can do, but industry has to act as well. And it is right. So it is it has taken that lead from Congress, I think, and is jumping in. We see. Um, the, the the factory construction boom that's been going on across the country. I think it's estimated about $200 billion uh, in 2023 uh, was done. And not all of that is obviously within the microelectronics area, but certainly a portion of it is driven by the CHIPS Act. 
Um, and I noticed what it was a TTM with a proposed new site up in Syracuse going to invest their own money to do. So the industry is following the lead and, and partnering uh, in the process, aren't they? Yeah, I think it's impressive that American companies continue to put their own money into this process, that they continue to recruit and train the workers that we're going to need to build these technologies, and that they can meet the demands of the customer. If somebody says, I need a high-tech system for any number of dynamic applications, American PCB and substrate manufacturers are there, and they're willing to deliver the technology. No one's throwing their hands up or, or giving up. In fact, it's quite the opposite, right? You see these um, DPA awards to companies like GreenSource and Calumet because the Pentagon knows they can invent the future and what technologies we're going to need. You see TTM bringing their own money to the table. And I, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. The other thing we've talked about before, Eric, I think it's worth emphasizing, is that there's a lot of private money on the sidelines. I really believe this. If you look at the CHIPS Act, it's a $52 billion commitment to domestic semiconductor manufacturing. By some accounts, that commitment has signaled almost $450 billion in private money coming off the sidelines for semiconductor capacity. I think we're going to see a similar story with the rest of the technology stack. When Wall Street, when private equity sees the government's here to support this industry, they're going to be there, they're going to have our backs. It makes it much easier to break ground on new facilities, buy tooling and machines, hire new workers, plan out production schedules, because you know that you've got Uncle Sam behind you. Yeah, exactly. And the fact is, these, these fabs for PCB are not as expensive, right? So we had the example last year of Schweitzer Electronic Engineering that you you introduced me to had spent $100 million of their own. We have TTM now proposing yeah. to spend an equal amount. That pales in comparison to building one of these big fabs that they're doing for chips down in Arizona and Ohio. You know, I, I don't think any of my members would say that it's easy or fast, but they would say, yeah, you know, what we're doing doesn't require the same, same time scales, doesn't require the same footprint. And what I like when I hear Secretary Raimondo at the Commerce Department talk is she mentions manufacturing nodes. And what I hear when I hear node is a world in which your brand new chip facility in Arizona is surrounded by facilities doing boards, doing substrates, maybe even OEMs doing final assembly so that we can truly say made in the USA on some of these products. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the industrial nodes, those are the industrial uh, factories or facilities that have uh, that have existed, you know, especially within the EMS industry, some companies have had that those uh, that strategy as they've entered different geographies. They put the uh, industrial uh, campus there. Um, talk about you mentioned the money, so it's all about the money coming from Congress too. That that's the the, the sign. You said you're indicating some of that's already being released. Is that, you know, the Congress moves slowly, they approve it and author, right? It takes a while for it to, 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 for the checks to be written. How's that progressing? Yeah. You know, I'm encouraged that the DPAI or the Defense Production Act investment account is starting to move money into our industry. As you know, in March of 2022, the president invoked the Defense Production Act, which is simply a way of letting the government spend faster and more efficiently on technologies that are deemed to be critical. And the president stood up and said, I see substrates and printed circuit boards are critical. Great. We completely agree with the White House on that one. Then Congress has to give the Pentagon DPAI money. While that money has been allocated, there are, are two things where I think we could uh, improve. You know, the first is the amount of funding in that account, and we are part of a joint letter with IPC this week. It's signed by 54 CEOs from PCB and substrate companies across the country, and they're calling on a restoration of cuts that were made last year to the DPAI account, and they're calling on Congress to fully fund that account. Now, that's part of what we're addressing. 
The second part is once the you know bank account is full, we need the Pentagon to pull out the debit card and, and actually spend it. I'm very encouraged by the approximately $85 million that went to Greensource and went to Calumet, but we need tens of millions, hundreds of millions, I would argue billions of dollars in investment if we truly want to build domestic capacity for these critical applications. So, you know, like a lot of organizations, we face headwinds in that Congress can be tight around the purse strings at times. But when we go in and talk to members of Congress, and I was doing this a week ago, and we say, these are critical technologies. They're spread all over the country. They're in every critical national security system, critical infrastructure system that you can think about. They acknowledge that that's why the DPA designation was given. That's why the DPAI account exists. Now we just need it funded and executed on. And I'm confident we can get there. Okay. So, but you indicated before kind of a fair amount of some dysfunction in Washington, which I think we've all somewhat gotten used to. We're also heading into an election year, right? Or what we're in an election year heading into, um, or the silly season as Ronald Reagan referred to it, right? So, so does... What impact will that have this year, uh, you know, the political environment on this? Help hinder or is it just you'll have some wins and some losses? How do you see it? So I think there are risks and opportunities uh, in these even year, especially presidential year elections. You're exactly right. It's a distraction. It grabs the attention of the media. National candidates for the White House distract people from legislative priorities. And sometimes the wheels of government will grind to a halt because people are waiting for the next administration to come in, whether that's the incumbent or the challenger. What I would say is this, there's also an opportunity for our industry because we are talking about the hottest issues right now related to the economy and global competition. If you are running for office in this country and you don't appreciate the hundreds of billions of dollars that's at stake here in states all over the country, in communities big and small, I don't think you're being a responsible candidate for elected office. You have got to look at the competition we face with China, you have got to look at the need to bring manufacturing home, the economic boom that this represents. You are seeing now, I think, Eric, a race and a competition in the states because they realize that this could be kind of a gold rush. Microelectronics manufacturing writ large is a great opportunity. Smart candidates will understand that. It's no coincidence that when you saw the groundbreaking for the Intel factory in Ohio, you had the governor, you had the congressional delegation, you had the president of Ohio State University, you had all of these stakeholders at the table because they all see the opportunity, they all understand the importance. So it's a presidential election year. People are running for office. They're telling voters they care about what matters to them. This matters to voters. So I see opportunity as well as risk. Okay, well put. So tell me, what are your 2024 strategic uh, priorities and, um, and speak about the importance of growing your membership? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought this up. We have a very busy, uh, I guess, 11 months left, and it's going to be a um, contentious year in Washington. It's going to be a year where, again, I think some of the budget headwinds are are things that we're, we're flying against. However, we are encouraged that committees on the Hill seem to want to push the Pentagon to spend more DPA money. We are encouraged that appropriators seem to want to support increases to DPAI funding. We, of course, are going to continue to support the PCBs Act, a bill which brings billions of dollars in direct grants and tax credits to the table. We need a Senate companion for that bill. We need to continue to push the Pentagon to rid its supply chains of foreign microelectronics from adversarial sources. That's a keep sold that we have to focus on. And of course, you know, our mission is educate, advocate, legislate. 
And I won't lie to you. We still walk into congressional offices where people don't know what printed circuit boards and substrates are. They don't understand the state of the industry until every member in their staff is as familiar with our part of the stack as they became with semiconductors. Our mission is not done. So we're going to focus on those core principles. We're going to try to get near-term and longer-term investments, whether those be tax credits for purchasers or direct grants for our members. And you talked about the importance of membership. For us to go from five members to 50 members in 30 months, I'm very happy about that. But we still have many people who are not at the table that should be. If you make substrates, if you make boards, if you sell the equipment that those companies rely on, if you assemble PCB um, you know, packages for, for OEMs, if you supply raw materials, and finally, if you buy boards at scale, we, the PCBAA, is chasing money and public policy that will move your bottom line. So we want to talk to you about getting on the team because I think we're in a unique position here, and there is a moment of opportunity that we should take advantage of. Right. And people interested in uh, supporting you, joining PCBAA, how do they go about doing that? Website, uh, contact you, what do they do? Find us on social media, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Find us at pcbaa.org. Uh, reach out to me. I'm easy to find and we will have a conversation. I'm talking to companies all over the United States every week about what we're doing. They are encouraged to have an ally, to have a group fighting for them in Washington and uh, more members equals more political impact, and it increases the chances of success. Excellent. David, always good. This is a good uh, catch up to, to launch the year. I look forward to getting some uh, more updates as the year progresses and hopefully some success stories there, and hopefully we can help drive some membership to you as well. So. Uh I really appreciate it, Eric. Your coverage of these issues is phenomenal. You're getting the word out there. I appreciate the chance to talk about what we're doing. Uh, developments are fast moving, but I want your audience to understand what's at stake here. You help us spread the word, and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. David, continued success to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.